0: I have a quick little word of exhortation I'd like to give you guys tonight. And I just feel like the Lord is doing something in this season. Hey, good to see you guys tonight. (laughs) Amen. Um, I have been reading about and studying about revival for a long time. And in this particular season right now, with they just had a a, um, a, an, a a big meeting down in uh the Coliseum, which was a 110 10 year anniversary of the azusa street revival and and so they were they were celebrating that down there and i i I guess thousands and thousands of people showed up and it was an awesome time but I've been reading about and studying about these revivals of the past, and I came across this article in Charisma magazine by a, a lady named Liana Haywood. She's the online editor for the part of the for the part of Charisma magazine that's called The Spirit Filled Woman. She says this in, in, in her in her in her little message. She says this. I devoured accounts of revival that perpetuated a romantic view of this phenomenon which caused me to stumble. She would read stories about how they would set up the tent and they would host a service where people were healed and delivered and created a hunger in me to see God heal and deliver my friends. I wanted to see people miraculously healed and delivered and thousands of people flooding into services while I've, while I've seen the healing and deliverance in my church that hosted a revival for over 20 years. I've also seen death, divorce, and people fall away. She was... Apparently a part of the revival that happened in Smithton Missouri which broke out in the in the right around 1996 see the ecstasy and emotion of revival I love to talk about I devour it myself I'm now I'm going to go back and forth. I'm reading parts of hers, and then I'm reading parts of what I just kind of interjected into this. I love the feel-goods. I love to see people slain in the Spirit, captivated by His presence, the intensity of a moment in time with God, for the chance encounter. It was 40 years ago, as I was praying last night, I recalled 40 years ago, when I was 12 years old, I went to a Bible camp in Alaska. I didn't want to go. My brother and I did not want to go. It was 300 miles from where we lived in Fairbanks. I remember kicking and screaming the whole way. I still remember the name. Little Beaver Camp. Right just below the Denali Mountain. Mount McKinley. And... It was in that service, in the middle of the week, that I had an encounter with Jesus that would literally change my life forever. I spoke in tongues for hours. At 12 years old, you can't make it up. You... You, can, you, don't even, you don't even understand. It's not like today where you have all these things that, we, that contrive all this. I, hadn't, I had no idea. But all I know is I was so filled with the Spirit of God that I couldn't even walk back to my room. They had to carry me back to the room. Over the long road I've learned that revival is not born in the intensity but in Intimacy. It's birthed in a place where no one hears you, no one sees you, no one feels it, no one gets the glory but Jesus. William Seymour, the blind black man, son of a slave who... Was the institutor of the Azusa Street Revival 110 years ago. He said this. He says, Don't talk about tongues, talk about Jesus. Scott was telling me this week, he, he had listened to a message, and it was Why Revival Ends. And it's specifically focused on why the Azusa Street Revival ended. And he says, When our focus is more on the Holy Spirit than Jesus, revival ends. We tend to gravitate toward the spiritual. See, we can forget about the reason. See, the Holy Spirit will always promote Jesus. So should we. I'm referring back to her now in this article, just for a moment. She said, when I first started attending my church, located in a small country town, Smithton, Missouri, I was struck by how ordinary the people were in the church. They were hard-working moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, students, teenagers, and children who loved God. There were lines of people from all over the world standing in front of their church, but the members were very humble and unassuming people. They attended church six days a week and served behind the scenes in services that were five to six hours long. Many of them left church at 1 a.m. and got up early the next morning to go to work. Living and serving among them through the highs and lows of life revealed some myths that I believe about revival. The most, she, So she goes through these myths, most Christians believe these myths which can keep them from actually receiving the work of God. Here comes some, Here are the, some of these common myths. And I, as I read them to you, I found myself guilty of this method of thinking. And I will add a couple more to it when I'm done. The revival, first of all, is the solution to all of life's problems. There is this romantic idea that if... If we had revival, revival would save my marriage, make me rich, heal me from sickness, or pull, me, oh, for, pull my wayward son or daughter back. While my, this is her talking. While my marriage was literally rescued by revival and stretched my faith to start a business, I've seen people sick and die, divorce, kids backslide and fall away. When my daughter was born with a special needs after I was on staff at the church, I thought that revival didn't work. After all, shouldn't this baby that was born in the midst of revival be healthy since I had poured out my life for the cause? That summer after she was born, my husband, Jerome, lost his job. I questioned revival and realized that I had made revival an idol. See, if we're in this race for fame, for fortune, even for health, though these things may be great, He wants us in the race because of what he's done for us. She says this, I considered leaving my church until God asked me if I was there to sit on the front row just waiting for a phone call from the pastor. And I responded to God by saying I wasn't there to get anything, any special favors but because he had called me. And God spoke to me that he had not changed his mind. I was still called to this church even though the circumstances didn't line up with what I had believed. Even though I questioned the very legitimacy of a revival that she was a part of. I still admit the pastor and his wife, Because I, I still admired them because I had seen how they had worked, their integrity, how they encouraged people to run after God and give more of their time when, even when they were in trouble. I trusted the pastor as, as, a, as a person and followed his advice. And here's what he had said to me. She said... he we follow the pastor's teaching on trusting God and our situation dramatically turned around. God blessed my husband with a job and my daughter had no major health issues. I've learned that through 17 years of disappointments, breakthroughs, healings, sicknesses, death, miracles, divorce, broken families, highs and lows of life, God moves among people. But we are still in a fallen world. If we live on this planet, disease, death, Crime, poverty, and injustice will always be there, yet God works through people. The Holy Spirit needs a vessel, that a vessel that is, even though we're frail and flawed, the problem isn't the message of, the, of revival, the problem is that people who love God are prone to be fickle and are easily discouraged by hard circumstances. I remember an older man not long ago, he told he, he came to us and Scott reminded me of it this last week. He said, You know what guys, I would I would die for you guys. He's no longer with me. See, when it comes, it isn't bliss. Everything won't get better all the time. It, we won't be wealthy. We won't always be healthy. Seymour, William Seymour, this, 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 this black man who led the, the Azusa Street Revival, he saw more healings than anyone on the earth, I believe. I was reading about the mass healings that would take place. 35 and 40 people at a time, dramatically healed. Eyes open, Arms extended. Uh, legs extended. Just burned people were healed miraculously healed in mass execution yet Seymour was never healed because he he was blind from smallpox in one eye the next thing is that revival is for sinners the definition of revival is to revive or to bring back to life those who were once alive come close to dying and they need to be revived Resuscitated. Jesus, his, he was the original revivalist who focused his ministry on the people of Israel. He said in Matthew 15 24, I was sent to the lost sheep in the house of Israel. Revival isn't for the sinner who has no interest in God, although I've seen dramatic conversions. This is what she says. See, there's got to be a hunger even in those who are lost. Sometimes I think we see people and we go, oh, they need the Lord, they need the Lord. And yes, they do. But if there is not that drawing of them that's deep down inside that says, I need this, if all it is is just another uh, calisthenic, if you want to call it that, an exercise, then it means nothing. But if there's that something deep down inside them that says, I need this. I'm hungry for this. I'm thirsty for this. It's that one. It's that one that revival changes, transforms them. This, this, see, when revival began in the Smithton community, they expected drug addicts, the down and out, to flood their church. Instead, you know who came? Loads of Baptists, Episcopalians, Lutherans, Methodists, and Catholics came. As Christians traveled from other countries and testified of having an encounter with God, the leaders realized that God sent a revival for His people. Jesus brought a move of the Spirit to His people. The Romans and Greeks and the Gentiles were not the focus of Jesus' ministry, although His work later would show that He would be. Number three is this: revival is not is random; it's a sovereign move of God. I have I've looked. You look at. The, 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 the revivals that took place in Wales, in, in, in England, around the turn of the century, there was nothing that they could do to create it. We can only hope and pray and call upon God. See, I've learned, she said this, I've learned that the outpouring that struck my church in March of 1996 was preceded by several years of prayer for revival." They didn't take prayer requests during the prayer meetings, but they focused on revival. I believe that those heart-wrenching prayers focused on God and made Him alone attractive, made, made, made alone them that prayer that they had attracted the Spirit of God. If Jesus had to pray all night, how much more do you think we're going to have to pray? Or prayer should be such a, a lifestyle for us? See, revival is God moving with frail human vessels. In most examples, look at at the people in the Bible. Mary had to carry the Messiah. Very frail. Ananias to initiate Saul's apostolic ministry. Frail man. Peter to carry the revival to the Roman centurion, Cornelius. Ultimately, revival begins with a relationship between you and God. And then other people. People are the carriers of revival. We can create an atmosphere that God either likes or shuts out. I said this after she said that it's it's a sovereign move of God. I can't make God do anything. I can't jump up and jump down. I can't shout, scream, cry, but in the end, like healing and anything else from God, it is His timing. It is His determination. I can't coerce God to do it in my time. I can, I can create, though, an atmosphere through praise, worship, holiness, fruits. I can position myself for when He moves, I'm in position. I found three common factors that, were, that went along with, with revival. Humility, holiness, and hunger. Every revival had these three things as ingredients. Now, I say to you tonight, if we have those, does that mean it's coming? No, it's still still a move of God. It's still got to be His hand that says, I'm going to do this. The next thing is that that the evidence of revival is thousands of people being saved at evangelistic crusades. See, today, we think we've got to fill an auditorium with thousands of people, bring in the best named people we can, and we've created an atmosphere where everybody will get saved. But if you look at the way Jesus and the New Testament church operated, I want you to look at this. This is Acts chapter 2, right after the, the, the pouring out of the Spirit. And it says, And continuing daily with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They had colosseums that could have easily been filled. Think about that just for a moment. If, the, if, if God wanted to use that means, then I'm not going to tell you, I know there's men out there today that are saying it's coming like that. I'm not, I'm not I, please don't take today what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's not going to happen that way. If God chooses in this hour to use stadiums or mass uh, evangelistic type of atmosphere, I want that. I desire that. I cry out for that. Okay, but what I'm saying is, even even then, that's not the way God worked. He didn't. He didn't line them all up in the Colosseum. And if, if any time in, in history, it would have been the time that would have been the place. Because here's the very place where they were killing Christians. And God could have said, listen, I'll show you how to do it. Then wiped and, and said, look here, watch the power of God move in this place. But he used this simplistic way of one-on-one together, bringing a group together. I, I showed that video a couple weeks of Francis Chan talking about how the, if we show that who we are in Christ, if we as a group, we fellowship and we truly love one another, the people on the outside are going to go, that's what I want. That's what I desire. That's what I've been looking for. They won't look and go, hey, they fight just like us. They divorce just like us. They do all the things just like us. But no, they'd say, look at what they have. That's what I want. Their devotional life would look, probably make our American Christianity look worldly and carnal. Their devotional life would probably make our American Christianity look world carnal. And this is... I was telling Scott this, this the other day. I said, you know, I, probably in my entire life, I don't feel like I have forsaken more things, given up more things drawn closer to the Lord in my entire life. There has never been a time, a period in time in my life, and yet I feel still weak, inadequate, sinful. And because every step I get closer, He reveals something in me that says, Greg, you've got to get rid of that. And I know as we walk this out, see, that's not what the world teaches. It's just have a good time, get in the river, frolic around, splash and have a good time in His grace and everything will be fine. Some of us, the reason why we have never been attacked like we've been attacked in this hour and in this time is because before, like like myself, I was just kind of wandering along, doing my thing, lukewarm at best, The devil didn't look at me as any kind of a threat. He's like, Greg? (laughs) Him? (laughs) Who's he going to impact? And probably some of our lives look like that. We're like, he's like, ah, yeah, let that guy go. He's not going to cause any problems. Then, when we began to cause a disturbance in the spirit realm, he saw us marked by the Holy Spirit. He said, oh, drone attack. And now all of a sudden, in the midst of where we thought everything was so lovely and wonderful, and we were just going along, now in, in some of us, our minds were like, I wish I could go back to that place where it was just it was a lot easier. I'll tell you right now, it is. But you will never experience the riches of God. You will never experience an encounter with the living God. You will never experience the eternal things that are being stored up for you. I'll tell you what. I know that even right now in heaven, He is, he's, he's building a place. He's building mansions. He's doing things on our behalf. He's getting ready. He's saying, listen, if you'll just hold tight, Greg, do not worry about what goes on in this life. as I spend time reading about these revivals, I see this. Jonathan Edwards in 1741, his message was this. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Our message today is, how's your Christian life like NASCAR? William Seymour's preaching centered around holiness, repentance, and confession. Birth and holiness movement is where this whole thing started. Brownsville and Smithton, Missouri, there was a deep call to repentance, not self-help, but this, "I'm helpless. I'm hopeless without Christ." Tonight, I must repent before you, because I say in my, my heart, I want revival. But I don't want the criticism. See, Seymour, William Seymour, his very mentor, the one that he had sat under as a a, a student. Now remember, how he had to sit under this man was he had to sit outside on the porch because he was a black man and he couldn't go into the actual class. He sat outside and listened to Parham talk. And think about this. When Parham finally came to visit... In Los Angeles. He didn't even embrace what was going on. He's, he was called a devil. As I was reading about it, splits broke off of this thing. See, in our minds, we look back at the Azusa Street Revival and we say, why not? This? It was the trying time. Parham, his mentor started a church across town. Another man, who had another church, and he was preaching revival, he started preaching revival on his 15th sermon, they kicked him out. Seymour, who came to Los Angeles to bring this revival, his second day there, they put a padlock on the building and said, don't come back. See, it doesn't look anything like we expect Seymour saw people leave in situation after situation he seen people come against him criticize him and this is the thing that I guess I had to repent for as I was thinking about this can I face the criticisms can I face the divisions because they came but I will offer you guys this tonight. We will see more accomplished in our lives when we just truly bring the kingdom of God. We submit ourselves to godly leadership, to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and allow God to put that place over us and we begin to walk in that. I don't want to drift along anymore. I want to be a threat to the enemy. getting ourselves equipped for what God wants in my younger days I was in a little Baptist church in Colorado and they had the time called tarrying it was usually on a Sunday night and they would just praise worship, cry out to God another ingredient for revival Can I tell you tonight that if we do it, it's going to happen? I don't know. I really don't. I don't, you know, I know better men than myself prayed for 40 and 50 years for a revival and never even got to see it. But I would rather have contended. I would rather have tried. It's no different for healing or anything else. I would rather contend for healing and never be healed than to never have tried. Seymour, he never experienced it. But man, you know, I know that there was times when that room would just be laid out flat. I know there were times when men, the Bible, there was, there's a, in, the, in the times, or one of the apostolic um, messengers said proud men would walk in in suits and ties. And then the Holy Spirit would fall. And pretty soon, these Crowd men were wallering around on a dirt floor. The, the, the story about the room is you actually had to stoop because the, the ceiling was so low. Man, I want to contend for revival. I want to equip you for revival. I want you to hunger and thirst for revival. Do you want to be hungry? Do you want that? Do you really crave that? It's going to take a cost. There's a cost involved in this. That means putting aside some things. Tonight, I'd like us to conclude our time and just, just worship and just cry out to God. Not maybe even for your need. We all have needs tonight. But let's just contend with, Lord, I want more of you. I desire more of you.